everyone is a star child made of stardust and the infinite potential of the universe. This extraordinary fearless something in each of us clamors for freedom from the bonds of fear, conformity, and an ordinary life. Welcome to Dr. Durr's Living in the Sweet Spot, where practical tools and solutions from the intersection of mind-body medicine, science, and spiritual well-being awaken and empower you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. Hello, I am your host, Dr. Valen A. Durr, here in the sweet spot, where I have conversations with my guests where we talk about the essential importance of mental wealth, defined as brain health, plus transformative thinking as the doorway to the greatest demonstration of your infinite potential. And joining me today is Dr. Obari Cartman. Hey, Dr. Obari. Hey, Dr. Ballin. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Oh, you know what? It, it is it is always a pleasure to, you know, have time to have conversations and to, you know, of course, sh- share in the wonderful um, spirit and wisdom that you are and, and, and the healing spirit that you bring to the community and to all of those that you touch. So you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Say so, what? Well, absolutely. I appreciate you. And so, you know, just to share a little something with our, with, with our audience about who you are, it's, it's uh, Dr. Obari Cartman is a father, son, brother, uncle, thinker, writer, therapist, photographer, drummer, and grassroots mental health advocate. He is the current president of the Chicago Association of Black Psychologists. He recently created a male rights of passage curriculum called Manifest that is being implemented in juvenile detention centers, schools, and other community settings. As a consultant, Dr. Cartman facilitates training for adults at in workshops with youth about maintaining good mental health, critical analysis of hip hop and media, racial and cultural identity, developing authentic manhood and healthy relationships. Dr. Cartman is currently completing his second book about Black spirituality, which which will be released next year. So, you know, true, as I true was, and true. yes, yes, yes. You know, and as I was thinking that when you said, um, when you were giving us the the description of of all the many ways that that you demonstrate, you know, your infinite potential of the Creator, and I said thinker, and 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 I, and I actually would dare to has has actually changed that and say and say thought leader, mm, thinker and thought leader. Mm. That's interesting. I'll I'll sit on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the you know, thing that I don't love about thought leader is. Yeah the hierarchy of leadership that I like to dispel. Uh, I, I do my own critical analysis, thinking and reflecting and invite others to join me, uh-huh. which feels different than leading them to do it. Uh, I think that we should all be our own individual thought leaders for ourselves and the people we influence. So I don't like to assume any positions of hierarchies that don't feel comfortable. 
Uh, agreed. And and you know what, for me, I, the, the idea of hierarchy never entered into my idea or concept of thought leader. For me, um, I'm really thinking of you as someone who is innovating and, mm-hmm. um, and creating or bringing forth some, some, some things that are new and uniquely distinctive and wonderful to you. So that's how I'm characterizing thought leader without the hierarchy. Well, the followers, you gotta have followers if you're a leader. But I appreciate what you're saying. <laughs> We're going to start our podcast with a debate. I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I thought we just shared, we just shared ideas like we usually do, right? No, we're not. I am trying to defeat you in a debate. <laughs> Share all you want. I'm trying to win. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, boy. I said, you know, the, 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 this universe is, is filled with wonderful surprises, is it not? <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, 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 so tell us something about you in terms of how you got to, um, you know, you're being a psychologist in your training. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a very organic journey for me. Uh, I like to talk about the, the process of becoming, because I mean, sort of what we were just, just talking about is for me, Part of the work is to remove the layers of supposed expertise that come along with the licenses and the degrees and to give that back to people. I believe that people have infinite potential and have mm-hmm. lots of power and um, innate gifts and geniuses that sometimes get lost in the shuffle of capitalism and the hierarchies of academy. And so I like to, to talk about my journey in a way that does not make me special right i know i'm special i know you know the innovative all that is true and i'm very clear that i am a product of several environments that created me that are replicable Mm -hmm. and that's more important to me than distinguishing myself as someone that is stands out um everything that i do everything that i came into everything that i'm good at i can point to one or both of my parents as an inspiration for um and it took me a while to get to this place. I remember young 20s in college, you know, I liked wanting to be cool and special and like innovative. I liked, I, I leaned into that more than I do now. Uh-huh. But it took me a while to realize, like, I, it, was, it was music for me at first. I was looking at my, my playlist, my, my CD collection at the time and looking at all the, the music and saying like, oh, you don't, you ain't up on that. You don't know nothing about no, right? And so there's that, that, that posturing of like, I got something that you don't got. And then it was, it's just the second look to, to think it. All of these music, musicians, the artists, Zap Mama, Sweet Honey and the Rock, all the people I was listening to that my friends were, yeah. I just got from my parents. I just, I, was, I just was listening. I was driving in the car, and that's what they were playing. And so from that vantage point, just think about all these things, the psychology, the healing professions, the drumming, the photography, all of it, I just got. It, it, was, just, it was just in my house. Cultural perspective. Um, I grew up in a house where we were celebrating Kwanzaa's, playing drums and reading and art and culture was a part of it. My dad was taking me to all of these events, stuff that I'm still doing right now. It's just because my father took me to it. And so um, that's how I came into it. Like my, my, we were in a house that was always about healing and culture. And even when I was in school, I was doing like peer mediated programs and these sort of retreats talking about issues. Like I was always into that. I was like people, I was like listening. I was always fascinated by how people 
made decisions. And so psychology was kind of an easy fit and been growing in it ever since. Okay. So um, if, since that's the case, but then you also um, didn't start off, you didn't start off by uh, going into community psychology, correct? Uh, yeah, I was always in community. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my undergrad degree was psychology. Um, and then I immediately went into a clinical and community PhD program. So I'm, Right. I'm, so what, so what I'm saying, but you start off in psychology, but, but you didn't plan on going into community psychology because that was a process of discovery, right? Yeah. I remember when I was applying to graduate school, I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly. I didn't realize until halfway through the undergrad process that you needed more school. I was like, all right, I'm going to start working now. And then everyone was like, no, you can't really do much with the bachelor's. And so yeah. I was looking at um, graduate schools and the, the the clinical community. So people were telling me clinical because that's the broadest degree you could do most with it. And because I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, I wanted to have as many options as possible. And so one of the schools that I was applying to had a clinical and community program. And I didn't know what community psychology as a field was. Um, I just liked the word and the idea of community. And that's kind of was part of my orientation. So I clicked that box and got accepted to that program and learned about this whole entire field of community psychology, which is a distinct field in and of itself. Um, so I kind of fell into it in that way. But my leading to it was my groundedness in community organizing and the things that I learned, you know, from my community that wanted me to that drew me to the idea of doing psychology in a way that benefited communities. And so um, I didn't know what I was getting into, but it fit what I was looking for. So what is community psychology exactly? Um, so community psychology as a field was born out of um, sort of the mainstream clinical perspective where a psychology still is very much individual based. Um, you think about therapy or uh, assessments or um, testings, whatever it is, a lot of it has to do with a one-on-one -on -one or maybe a group or maybe a family. Um, but community psychology, the, the really the, the, the basic thought was there were psychologists in the healing profession that were doing individual work and thinking about doing the best therapies, um, coming up with the best interventions, and then removing people to sort of heal them one at a time and then putting them back into systems that were broken will lead to a cycling of, you know, just running in place. And so they were thinking about um, how do we intervene at systems levels, thinking about how people are embedded in communities and school systems and uh, policies and uh, social structures, economic structures. And so it, it was almost like a sociological lens, looking at larger systems and thinking about how to change those systems with individual mental health uh, processes in mind. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like an expanded, like a systems change sociology in a lot of ways. Is, yeah, I was, because I'm thinking to myself and I'm kind of going, yeah, because my undergrad major was sociology. So obviously, mm -hmm. said, yeah. you know, psychology is the individual or sociology, mm -hmm. yeah. the, 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 you know, the community, the organization, it's the unit. So if that's yeah, absolutely. what that unit looks, whatever that unit looks like. And, um, and obviously also too, with me, especially, especially being a child and adolescent psychiatrist, mm -hmm. um, 
the, the idea, as you already mentioned about taking a child and, and, you know, as I tell, you know, you know, parents or whomever brings them to me, you know, you bring your child to me, wanting me to fix them. Mm-hmm. But then you want to return them to the same environment that they came right. from, um, and that's and and expect expect them to stay fixed, which is not a workable plan. Right. right. The 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 unit and the environment needs to make some adjustments also in order to, mm-hmm. to be healthy. So, um, so, so yeah, so 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 that obviously makes a whole lot of a whole lot of sense right because mm-hmm. the environment is is affecting the individual but the individual is affecting the child mm-hmm. uh, or in this case or is affect or is affecting the person whether that's a child mm-hmm. or an adult right? Yeah, right so 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 tell me what does um some what does some of your work look like some of what are some of the approaches like you know i know one of one of the things um that you use is is you know conversations in barbershop talk and for those who may not know why that works you know why don't you share that with us um so the barbershop idea is really just expanding where healing happens Mm -hmm. um, taking it outside of the office not waiting for people to find us and to come you know go through whatever process it takes to use insurance or sign up somehow and then find their way into an office to sit and be healed, but to go where people are and to engage them in their natural habitat, right? Um, and and think about using the environment as a location of healing to transform spaces where people already are into an opportunity to engage more deeply and to reflect more authentically um, and to connect with each other. And so... I, you know, I, I spend most of my time, I don't have office. I, don't, I literally don't even have office. Okay. Um, so I'm in prisons, juvenile detention centers, high schools a lot, uh, barbershops, community centers, um, and which, which is really important right now because there's a, a shortage of providers and there are more people looking for therapists. We've done a lot of work to reduce the stigmas and COVID has exacerbated things and people are more aware and open and mental health is more popular now. Um, but we have not developed the workforce to meet the need. And so uh, a lot of therapists that I know right now have waiting lists and, you know, they stopped taking clients a long time ago. And so what was what, happening in a bottleneck of people looking for services and then they're not being people to go to, I think that we have to be more creative to take healing opportunities into spaces where people already are into the community. Um, so I spend a lot of time doing that um, using art and music and movement and, you know, just things that are, I don't even like the word non-traditional because traditional assumes a cultural, you know I mean, like underpinning. Um, but I think that what, what I do is very much traditional for who we are as Black people, um, as African people. Um, and we kind of just are trying to get back to the source of things to create ways to maintain balance and to connect and to heal that don't require going outside of your community and or outside of yourself really for expertise to have someone fix you in ways that I think that should be embedded in the natural flow for lifestyles. Well, the other thing too, um, for me, it's a couple things. One, as a, as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, especially, um, there's been a shortage for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That didn't just start with 
with COVID. Absolutely. Um, um, I think um, that COVID obviously ex- ex- magnified, exacerbated things greatly. For sure. Yeah. And um, and for for what was already an underlying. Um, and I say underlying issue to me it should have never been underlying because of the fact of the matter is I tell people your body can't live without a brain. And while mm-hmm. we apparently understand that we don't consciously think of it in such a way that we go, Oh, if my brain is running everything, then I need to take care of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. If it's not working, then something yeah. about the way I think, feel or behave, you know, or the way my mm-hmm. body functions is, is going to, is going to, to misfire or misfunction mount, you know, it, it's just, it's not going to work properly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I think too, to um, the, the point that in terms of you and I looking at things spiritually and from mm-hmm. that lens, one of the things that I endeavor to do is to help people with identity from a place, mm-hmm. from a place of, you don't need fixing who you are is already whole, complete and mm-hmm. perfect. Your being is that. Yeah. Now your thinking may be jacked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, right, right. It may be it may be a little twisted or sideways, or yeah, right, right. your brain may not function properly, but you have a brain, you're not your mm-hmm. brain, you have thoughts, you're not your thoughts. You have these things, and while they may need, you know, some adjustment or fixing, whatever term you want to use, you know, if we come from that place that my being is already whole and perfect, but it has to mm-hmm. demonstrate through a human brain, uh, then I think that that um, is helpful to um, say that then if I'm if I'm damaged, then I'm just eternally damaged. Mm-hmm. And, and, and eternally uh, uh, irreparable, yeah. right? So then you become and go. Oh well, if I'm if I'm already whole and complete, then what is it that I need to make adjustments in or heal? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, such as whatever emotional wounds or physical wounds or other woundedness that I experience. Let me heal the. Let me heal that like you would heal a broken leg. In order so that who I am is this this you as I like to say you unique wonderful spirit can have the greatest demonstration through my through my physical body and through and mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. physical experience. So I think particularly to the the simple genius of also what you do by going to the barber shops um, is that's where we have a lot of conversations with each other mm-hmm. about <laughs> many things, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> about us as individuals, about us as a community, about this country, about our experiences here in this country. So it, to me, it, it's, it's again, it's brilliance is in its simplicity and where the conversations mm-hmm. are already happening. Yeah. So, so, so how do you, um, then utilize that that pre-existing, you know, um, setting and uh, I call it structure and th- the conversations are already happening. How do mm-hmm. you do that in order to then let's take things let's take things deeper, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. let's 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 really kind of go into some to some of those wounds and spaces and places that people oftentimes want to avoid because it is too painful. 
Yeah. So yeah. so how so how do you do that? Um, I think the two things are happening when I'm in the room because I they know me as a doctor, as a therapist. Um, so I, I do think that there is something about, and again, for me, the expertise isn't rooted in the the academy so much, right? The training, but I have spent my life studying things and reading things, not even just for like in school, but like just exploring the human condition and spending time cultivating and practicing. And um, so I think that that, that gives me a, a, a sense of comfort, facilitating conversations that can go deeper than others, right? Um, and the barbers are in there recognizing that they are operating as lay therapists yes. without that training. Mm-hmm. And again, I always want to make sure the training is not necessarily licensed, right? Not necessarily American, European centered. It doesn't have to be that, but it's got to be some type of study. Right. Wisdom right. is gotta... not licensed. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Right. Um, it's experienced, um, but it's got to be intentional. I, you know, I think that you can go to the library and read all the same books that I read and spend time in your community cultivating a skill set, right? Um, so that's happening in the barbershop and the men and the women that are cutting hair know that they're, they have people that come regularly and there's a space where they can speak and talk and that they are having to guide them through and listen carefully and give advice when needed. But what they also recognize is that they also are going through their own stuff mm-hmm. and that they have limited capacity to be able to really like go there sometimes. And so when I'm in the room, um, it allows them to have the conversation that they normally have, but it gives them another layer of comfort to really like relax into the emotions and to some of those difficult places that they may have avoided earlier. And um, and I'm and I and I genuinely am comfortable going there. Like I really am. Like I, I don't get frazzled. Like I don't. Right. So so that 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 is something that I recognize is a is a gift, is a talent, is something that's been cultivated uh, as a skill set. And the thing that I lean on the most when I do it um, to help what you described, I think is a really powerful approach to the um, creating a non-judgmental space to lead with you are whole, you are perfect. And that there's an aspect of how you move in the world that maybe could be adjusted. It just removes this, this shame that I think people move around with, this guilt that I'm broken, I'm doing it wrong. Um, and 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 it's stuck like that. Um, so one of my approaches in order to get around that judgment, while balancing sort of this expert position that I hold in the room, is to lead with transparency. Like I, I talk very much about me still being on a journey and things that I'm still working towards and struggling with, and uh, my own contradictions and those kind of things. And so if I do that well enough, um, it allows permission for the other men in the room to be like, well, he can't judge me because he just told me about his stuff. And so now I can really feel free to be in the space where we are just trying to figure it out together. Um, I have some things that I have some com- comforts and com- 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 capacities and um, so, you know, relative expertises in, but so do you. And so I, I we, we were able to bring those into the room and, and use those to support each other in a way that um, I think people want, I think people are ready for. I think that, that you know, this idea that there's a stigma that, that black men want to hold our secrets or there's places that we don't want to go, um, that has not been my experience. It's been my experience that they want more. Uh, every time I do it, they're like, when, when, when is the next one? Um, I think that people are, are, are wanting 
have a, I think that there's a natural pull towards excellence and aspiring to be our best self. And then we kind of get in the way of it and the environment doesn't allow the space for it. Um, but I think that if we create it and make it non-judgmental, make it safe and make them feel like they're capable of doing whatever it is that their heart is desiring. Um, we just got to do some work. Um, what I've seen happen over and over again is that, you know, if we, if we do it, then it, it, it happens. Right. So to, you know what, to your, to your point, I think that, um, really it's not that pe that, that people don't really want to, um, share their experiences and share their pain. Really. I think the larger issue is they don't want to be ridiculed for that's doing right. That. That's it. That's it. Right. They don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want to be dehumanized. They don't want to be, you know, mm -hmm. said that you're weak and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's something, you know, something wrong with your character. And and, and I think it's even deeper than that for the field. I think that people have a legitimate fear of punishment, losing job right now, being canceled. Mm -hmm. um, historically, the social work say, field. When you say cancel, what do you mean by canceled? I mean, the social media way of it so if you say something um wrong right now people would, would throw you away you are no longer of use if you don't say the right thing if you expose too many of your flaws and it's, it makes it so that people kind of tiptoeing around mm -hmm. where, where am i what am i supposed to say and when which just destroys authentic conversation um and so it's just, it's not even just being ridiculed or judged. It's really just like it's really losing losing jobs, having your children being taken from you, right? You say the wrong thing, and it shows up in court, right? I think that it's that it's the fear of consequences that keeps people stuck. And I think that's real. I think and I think that's something we should really actually be mindful of for real. It's not even a fake fear. No, it's it's not a it's not a fake fear. And so here's the other thing too. Let me give a different context. Mm -hmm. When when you write something, obviously it's there, it's written. Yeah. Um, so you can say the person wrote this. Mm -hmm. um, now, even what somebody is writing, of course, is open to interpretation. For sure. Because of what it means to you versus what it means to me. Mm -hmm. I, I think the the also the larger issue though is um and I share with people I think one of the most one of the most valuable um aspects of my training is that um as a psychiatrist I was taught don't make assumptions that what someone is saying to you means the same to them as it does to you. You sure. know, ask questions. And, you know, just ask a clarifying question. In my experience, unfortunately, overwhelmingly, people tend to make assumptions. Mm -hmm. You can say something that's literal and factual mm -hmm. and, and out of their woundedness, they'll turn it into something else or mm -hmm. out of their you know, their experiences or their perspectives, their beliefs, they'll yeah. turn it into something else that wasn't e even said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wasn't the, those actual words weren't said. Um, yeah. 
There's not the implication of that. It's just that that's your interpretation or in some cases misinterpretations mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of what's being said. And rather than um, saying, well, let me check to see if my conclusion is correct. Mm -hmm. They just assume that their conclusion is correct and then act upon that. So yeah. I think that's so that's I think that's the other part that mm -hmm. comes into it that even if again we're not even talking about something written, but you can just be speaking, saying something. And but written adds another cool. element though. When you write it down, particularly now, people are going back and digging up old tweets. Correct. You could have written something a decade ago don't even see the world in the same way. So it's it, it stifles growth. I, I, wrote, I wrote a book. Um, I hadn't read my book in years until I did a book club last December with some guys in Massachusetts. I had to reread my book mm -hmm. so I could facilitate the book club. And there were things that I wrote in my book that I don't disagree with anymore. I'm having, I had to edit, I'm having to edit, I'm in the process right now of editing my own book mm -hmm. because I can't continue to put out the version of me from years ago that is no longer congruent, right? So I, I think we, we, we're we not giving people space to grow. Right? And, I, and especially, especially when you write it, when you write it down, you get stuck in that thing. We And I think the process of life is constantly revision and editing and learning and relearning and unlearning. We don't right. give ourselves- if that's, if that's what your intention is, because for some mm -hmm. folks, it's just Groundhog Day. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, but for you and to your point again, because I think- the idea of uh, of identity is so crucial and fundamental. Mm -hmm. That's not who you were. That was just your perspective. That was your mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. And because your perspective has changed, yeah. which there should be uh, allowance for your perspective. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, you have a thought or an idea, but you are not your perspective. Mm -hmm. So I disagree with things I've said seconds later. I'll say something and they'd be like, well, I actually don't agree with myself. <laughs> I don't, what I just said is, is a part of it, right? It's not exactly the full thing because there's so much truth, right? There's so many things. That, and I think that we simplify things sometimes too much and pigeonhole people. And, then and I think that part of that is because we're looking for a fault. We're looking for to put people in boxes to say right, wrong, oh, come on, teach. right, come on, teach. Uh, <laughs> uh, guilty, guilty or innocent. I think we, we have these boxes we want to put people in. And, and, then, and that's what the cancel culture is about. Right. You, you could be and I've had this in my personal experience. People have had their own lived experience with me, mm -hmm. heard one thing that somebody else said, and then it discounted everything that they personally experienced because there's this pressure to say good, bad, right, wrong, allowable or unallowable, keep or discard. I mean, I think that that rigidity of the way the world is shaped is very, very harmful. Uh, amen. So it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I think that that, you know, it stems from in part that people are um, looking for threat. Mm -hmm. And again, because they're when your identity is so grounded in your beliefs. Mm. And when somebody says something that is against your beliefs, you take it as an attack against you mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. opposed to it's a disagreement with what what we believe and what we think. Mm -hmm. And and um, and so if you and, you know, for, so for some folks will come then they come in from the place of you're attacking me. 
Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then I need to defend myself and or attack you in response. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just it's a it's a difference in ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. and and I'm not and and when I say that I'm in speaking of distortions, um, I'm in no way saying that um that the that ideas are unimportant because mm-hmm. the the truth is what people believe and what they think then is the seed, right? Mm-hmm. It's the seed for their feelings mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. fruit of their behavior and their absolutely. results. Right. And some so, of that can be very, very harmful. Absolutely. 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 Create um, violence from ideas for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So but I'm just saying is I, if, again, I think if we could create some distance in terms of really identifying who I am as a being, who you are as a being, that we have a brain, we have thoughts, we have feelings, we have behaviors, we have results, but we are not those things. To me, it creates more space to be able to make changes in those things. And frankly, to to, to be able to um, accept um, that other people evolve and their mm-hmm. thinking and their beliefs and their feelings and their behaviors as opposed mm-hmm. to being frozen in time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So, so again, and I think a lot of that also has to do with people avoiding looking at their own stuff too. Mm-hmm. So as long as I'm pointing fault, looking for who else, because it's this sense that, and I think we get it real young, this idea that part of how we should identify includes being better than other people. And so, you know, I, I've been judged by people who are not qualified to do so, but for some reason, right, people, you, you I don't know. I don't know. I don't know at, w- at what level someone needs to think that they are perfect enough to judge other people to uh, avoid looking at their own things. Um, and so I think that fault finding has a lot to do with like, as long as I'm saying that you wrong, you guilty, you bad, you canceled, and then it focuses the attention away from someone trying to say, what, what What are you doing? What have you done? What are you good at? Right. I mean, and if we all allow ourselves to just be on this journey, nobody's perfect. Nobody's, you know, has been, no one, no one avoids no the one harms. It, no one, yeah, no one does it perfectly. No one does it perfectly. And, then, and once you say that, you're like, what does that even mean? How is that even a possible, is it even possible to do, like, what is that? That's a, a false concept in and of itself to do a thing perfectly. It's, it's complicated and as diverse as being human, particularly in this time, right? There's so many different ways to do it. And they don't have to be right or wrong. They could just be different. It could just be like, I think the animal kingdom figured it out. Just flowers. They're just different. They just smell different and look different and have different functions. And they can coexist in ways without sort of this competition, this better than, this hierarchy. I mean, I think part of that's capitalism. I think that part of the structure of being alive in this world means that we're competing for what we believe are scarce resources. But all of that is and ideology yes and so he so here's also to your point if i'm you know it's it's two things i say if your house is dirty mm-hmm. and i'm talking about your house is dirty then That's i want right. to focus on my house right what right. i need to do to clean up my house right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's uh that again is that the benefit, right? Because you and I both know anytime you engage in something and, and repeat, repeatedly, there's a payoff. So mm-hmm, that's the payoff mm-hmm. 
for focusing on you talking about your dirty house mm-hmm. um, is I don't have to acknowledge that my house is dirty or if I do, I don't have to clean it up because I'm busy focused on you and your mm-hmm. dirty house. And then, um, you know, the other part of that, that, um, you know, I also try to get people to understand is everyone has their own unique design and purpose. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is when we don't recognize that, then we're, if we're comparing ourselves to something that we were never designed in purpose for, yeah. then you either find somebody inferior or superior. That's right. And, right. and if, you know, you're looking and saying, I'm not as good as you because I value that, then I find mm-hmm. myself inferior. If mm-hmm. I find, you know, that, that again, you're different than me and uh, I don't value that, then of course I find myself superior. And mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, I tell people, you know, be con- be conscious of the fact that again, that everything has its own design and purpose. Since that mm-hmm. being the case, you know, as much as, as much as people talk down about the anus, let that mm-hmm. sucker back up and see if you ain't got some problems. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, because, mm-hmm. because, you know, your body has all these different systems that it relies upon in order to live. So know your anus is not the same, you know, uh, you know, as your heart. Mm-hmm, um, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it, but it has as vital a role, a vital right. in the sense of that if, if it backs up, you're either going to end up very sick and mm-hmm. if it's not cleared, dead. So mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just because it's got the stinky job, and maybe mm-hmm. the 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 you know the the job a lot of folks wouldn't want to have doesn't mm-hmm. mean it, it doesn't have um value and 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 something that's critically important yeah. to uh to the to the to the survival of the the organism in the in that mm-hmm. case mm-hmm. so i think you know to to your point that 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 is um a really important aspect of it but also because I want to use this. I wonder if that would translate on a t-shirt. The anus is valuable. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if the if the movement is gonna go for that. Oh uh, yeah, no, well, your point move, is from movement will go for that. No, it's it's very, very important. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, it's not. And as you well know, movement is just important, period, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's blood That's moving right. through the body, you don't want to stagnate right. and everything right. in you needs to move and it needs to flow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want, so I, I, again, I want to, because I think that, you know, the work that you do is so, you know, critically important and you do it in a way that that is unique and different. So I, I want to, like, again, kind of come back to, you know, how you're, how you engage how you engage, you know, men folk, um, uh, particularly, you know, in the settings of barbershops. And I know you also do drum circles and just, sh- you know, share some of those other, um, you know, s- some of those other forums, which you utilize this and, and how you, how do you, how you engage them um, with, obviously with the thought of, you know, how some of our, uh, some of the audience may be able to, you know, maybe do even, even, you know, take home an extra tool or two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think the approach is really important. Like the, the way you go about creating space makes a big difference. And I'm very deliberate about 
doing things that I enjoy doing that are healing for me and then inviting people to join me. That's really my whole perspective. Okay. Right. So I like music. Okay. Um, If I go into a room with charts and graphs and um, PowerPoint and lecturing and say, this is what you need to be doing, you know, men are, are would, would naturally resist that. But if I just play a song and we nod in our head, right, and then print the lyrics out, what you think about that? I ain't got to call it therapy. I don't have to use the doctor. This is me, Obari, listening to a song I found mm-hmm. and saying, I just wanted to share this with you. What do I think about this? Mm-hmm. Right. That that the approach. We've got there's drums in a room. Um, I don't even have to introduce the drums. If you put drums in a room, ask men to come into that room, they will sit around and will start tapping. Without saying a word, there was somebody will start tapping. And what I love to do is just take that natural tap that happens and create a rhythm around that in real time. And now we drumming. We ain't saying that. We ain't saying that. Ain't nobody introduced themselves. I haven't said, hey, I'm Dr. Cartman. This is right. We just sitting in a circle, um, creating space to build community using practices that were viciously, violently removed from us because there was a historical enemy that realized how medicinal they were. And so, as the therapists, as the healers now, I believe that we got to put those things back front and center into the healing space to bring back our. The language, the songs, chants, the movements, the breathing, those things that um, we've been doing for centuries, right? We've been doing this for a long time. And then went to school to get trained in the modality to then go back to the neighborhood to impose some other framework and philosophy on people. And I don't think that works. And so for me, the approach is to just bring the stuff that people are already doing. Um, I've had spades therapy, right? You got to tell me about the spades therapy. I want to hear, I want to hear about so that. It's that. You got it's, it's guys. Uh-huh. It, the format is already there. You got uh-huh. guys sitting. There's four four people at to a table. Uh-huh. Um, they're playing. They're okay. talking. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right. All you do is introduce <laughs> someone. Uh, and so when when I did it, there were questions at the table. They were responding to while they were talking. And, and, and anybody, just wait, 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 I was gonna say anybody listening, you know, a, a spades is a card game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that you that you're playing with a partner. Uh, I was trying to I was trying to think of what's something else that spades is kind of like. Um, bidwis. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, spades is like bidwis. So so card mm-hmm. game, and so um um, what you play with a partner. So it's basically a team against another team. Okay. Um, so anything, I th- anything that people would love to love to do, I think right. you can so, transform so, it. But, but so I'm, particularly, I'm interested, in, um, and I'm. I just. Want but to- I would say it was it was a very simple it was a very simple uh, format. So we would ah. explain spades. Uh-huh. They knew it was a, a wellness event. They know I'm a psychologist, and so they expect a certain. You know what I mean? So all I did was introduce questions that were at the table, where they were sort of thought provoking, critical thinking, you know, emotional intelligence. Um, so they were so someone going around helping facilitate them going through those a list of questions. So instead of talking shit and competing, they uh-huh. were like, okay, well, we sit here. So it's the, the format like, is, is, so like, is really so like what kind of questions. Um, they were specific to that. It was a group of uh, it was at a college. And so there was some things that are going on at campus. Um, so it was stuff around like, what do you do? Take care of yourself. Right. Okay. Uh, when, when conflict comes. What are some things that you leaned on? What are some things that you need? Um, what are some ways that you can support your brothers or, or 
receive support, those kind of stuff. Just like okay, therapeutic. I mean, it's, you, it, it could be anything, but you know, the the, the the thing that makes the difference is that they're engaged in something that does not feel off-putting. Doesn't feel like I have to go outside of myself. I'm just doing something. I, I, it's fun. You know, it's already. Um, I was playing around with the idea of partnerships and competition, and just looking at. What does it mean to communicate well? And how do you communicate verbally, non-verbally? Those kind of questions. Um, and people got into different questions and they, they could choose and they, they were adding their own questions. Once you get the ball rolling, they, they're, they're talking about those things anyway. Um, so you just kind of shift the focus from competition and winning and, you know what I mean, to connection and partnership. And I think that, you know, people will, will go there if you lead them in that direction. I do a bat with basketball. I use a lot of hip hop. Um, food is always a good connector. Um, Say yes, yes, so, yes. <laughs> yeah, but it's the things you do do the things that people love to do, and they make it make it therapeutic. I think we could do. We should do more more of that. Yeah, theater is good uh, for storytelling. Mm. Book clubs, uh, literacy is good. Open mics are good. Um, what else have I used? Those are the kind of things. Yeah. I think have been most successful around getting men to engage. You put a flyer out, say, "Hey guys, come talk about your feelings." They don't come to that. <laughs> they'll come to it. They'll come to a space. It can say space and wellness. They'll come, but just because it has the, the hook, um, basketball, mental health, um, uh-huh. drum circle. I mean, they'll, they'll come to if the hook is something that they're interested in. They'll come. They won't come just to talk. Right, and you know, and you and I have had the conversation before where. Um, when I was learning from learning this about men from you and, mm-hmm. um, and you said to me, you said that really when it comes to those kind of sensitive heartfelt issues that men don't like to necessarily talk eye to eye. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's just, mm-hmm. I said, Oh, that's just like, you know, when I mean, in terms of my child training, right. Doing mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. message training. So like you said, you know, you know, if the, uh, you know, I might take one of the kids out. We go shoot some hoops. And mm-hmm, while we shoot mm-hmm. hoops, you know, that, that was our therapy session. While we shoot hoops, we were, yeah, you know, talking right. about things. So, mm-hmm. so, so, yeah. So, and I was like, oh, okay. It's like that. They don't like mm-hmm. to talk eye to eye. Why, why, mm-hmm. is, why is that? Um, I know for me, the thing that I'm aware of, and it might be different for a woman, but I'm aware of sort of this, competitiveness that happens sometimes mm. um, and, and it depends sometimes you know men are okay with eye contact and um but there's something about intimacy that sometimes some men are uncomfortable with mm-hmm. that if they're doing it in a if it's on the side or if it's not like really directly engaged because we're just not in the practice of having deep emotional conversations and articulating ourselves and so it helps avoid some of the anxiety and some of the um the avoidance that I think that is a part of male culture, just by like easing our way into it. Um, and some men are fine. Like some, sometimes it works, but I just, I, I give people space to process on their own, even when we're in a room to not feel like they're being judged and watched and evaluated and supervised. I think that sense, I think men have a lot of anxiety about that, of being watched. I do. I do. I'm not saying I, I do. Right. There's things that when I when I'm alone, there's things that I do and say um, that I'm always aware of someone else's eyes and ears 
I could be on the phone and somebody mm-hmm. else is in the room. I'm aware of what I sound like to someone else. And it's not insecurity. It's more of a self-consciousness. Um, so that's part of that, my own my own anxiety, right? And, and then giving men space to choose to engage however they want, but not assuming that sort of the deep, intimate connections, particularly with other men, is immediately comfortable for them. Right. And so as you were as you were talking about that, then what actually what came to mind is what you actually kind of just ended there with is the fact that I obviously when there is eye to eye contact, Mm -hmm. either I'm friendly with this person and Mm -hmm. if I am, then that you're establishing that connection that is that is a deep, uh, a deep, more penetrating Mm-hmm. you know um you know seeing into me seeing into my soul that intimacy yeah. you know allowing you to see into me intimacy yeah. um and again do i feel safe enough with you for mm-hmm. that to happen mm-hmm. uh on the other hand there is the if the the first alternative is not true then are you a threat um, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. some way or another uh, and uh, and again you know even competition right mm-hmm. is it a is it a competition because that that i make an eye contact is going to mm-hmm. be one or the other mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> friend yeah. or foe that's right right, right <laughs> you right. know connection or you know or threat so mm-hmm. um so so obviously having this conversation with you helps me to it helps me to understand that on a deeper level as it relates, as it relates specifically to men. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think it, I think women in general find it easier. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not saying easy, but yeah, I yeah, think yeah, we yeah. find it easier because uh, despite uh, the ridicule that women get for being emotional mm-hmm. uh, because it's attributed to us in terms of our gender it's mm-hmm. it's more expected and therefore accepted. Yeah. Um, so, and some of that is socialized, right? Whether it's you know real or fake, because yeah, we say absolutely. it. And we, here's the thing. But wait, but here's the thing that I say too about this in terms of when it comes to men and emotions. I was yeah. like, you know what, y'all need to quit that lie. I yeah, said, no, you know, I because men yeah. are really emotional. They're human beings. So mm-hmm. part of being human is having emotions, but not only that. You know, when you get into these crimes of passion, what the heck mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. but emotion right. and rage, right? You know, right. and 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 hurt and whatever, mm-hmm, just just mm-hmm. emotions on steroids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. can we please stop telling the lie that men don't have emotions <laughs> and that they're not ruled by their emotions? No, I agree completely. So, um, okay, so you so you mentioned. Um, mentioned doing those things that um that people enjoy doing or that you enjoy doing which which I think um which I think is great and I know you know one of the things and obviously this is for you know a more an intimate relationship you know I've you know just heard in terms of you know as a woman talking to you know your mate that you know even if you're just doing things like um you know, like say, you know, rubbing his shoulders or rubbing his head or something mm-hmm. like that that's creating c- contact, but also helping to soothe him, 
can help mm-hmm. facilitate conversation as well. What What do you think about that? Um, I think that could be helpful. Um, even with that, though, I think that what's been most useful, I'll speak for myself, mm-hmm. is, um, no, I'm not going to say that out loud. I was going to say something that was going to get women in trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I, I'm, I'm processing out loud, obviously. What I was going to say is you the thing trouble. that helps. You in trouble? You in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say that my experience, this is my personal experience, is okay. that it is rare for me to feel fully, holistically, completely listened to. Period. Men, women, otherwise. Um, I often feel like we talk about women. We talk about women. Uh, women are are listening with agendas, um, waiting to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't often feel like it's it, so. The thing that makes it uh, the rare times when I do feel like okay, she really want to know. Um, some of that happens through consistency and persistence. Uh, that's I, I pause on persistence because. Some of that can turn into nagging mm-hmm. and you can shut off the communication if you are like, no, no, tell me how you feel. Tell me how you feel. Tell me how you feel. Because um, that can be annoying. But for me, I know that you can ask me how I'm doing or how my day was or, or what, what, you know, whatever it is. And and I'll give you a of the boilerplate, just, oh, it's cool. Everything's fine. Response first. Um, and it's easy for me. And I'm used to being in, in relationships where women don't really actually want to know. They just want the opportunity to talk about their day. I don't know if I can say any of this out loud. But, um, and so I, I've i been, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's my own training or again, my own sort of baggage, whatever it is, but I feel like when I give the easy, quick, empty answers, mm-hmm that it may I put the responsibility on her to ask follow-up questions. And it's those follow-up questions that for me trigger, okay, she really wants to know for real. My assumption is easy light, just get on with the conversation, almost like a superficial conversation. Um it 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 takes someone asking follow-up questions and remembering what we said to be like, okay, there's something that has to happen for me to say, oh, she really wants to hear this. And that doesn't happen often. Um, I often feel like she doesn't really actually want to hear this, especially if we're talking about deeper emotional stuff. Um, and so I often keep stuff and I, and I hold stuff in. And there are a few people that I do talk to that have established a relationship where I feel like they we have that kind of exchange. And we both really genuinely want to hear about how people, how, how each other are doing. Um, but it takes a, a lot of special considerations and circumstances and stars to align for me to feel comfortable doing that um and part of that is just the investment and the work to get it out of me and so i don't know if i'm speaking for any other other men out here but i know that teeth pulling that y'all hate doing mm-hmm. initially has to be a part of you getting me to a space where i feel like it's not that i don't want to tell you mm-hmm. it's different it's something like it's more like i don't think that you really actually want to hear it. You have to convince me that you want to hear more. 
So of course it sounds unfair as I'm describing it, but it's what it is. Right. So here's so I, I would add um a couple things to that. Um in order to I would say if if you want to experience the wonder and awe of this moment, then it's you have to fully inhabit it. In order to fully inhabit it, um past experiences with other people, um, we want to leave that out of the moment as much as possible because who I am is not that other person. And I think it's one thing if we come to something and speak from a, a deeper place and the person is not responsive to it, as opposed to assuming the default is nobody really wants to hear, you know, my, my deep feelings. Um, so I think that's one thing that there has to, there, there needs to be the intention for, and I'll make it personal. It needs to be an intention on my part to be known as much as there's an intention on your part to know me and vice versa. And obviously in seeing that or experiencing, if it's not happening, then have some conversation around that. But just as the, the default is nobody wants to know me and then having somebody else have to work to get to know you because that's a default belief. I think that's one of those, one of those barriers um, to, you know, to deeper connections in relationship. Uh, the other thing is I've, you know, uh, one of the, one of the men folk in my village shared with me when he was younger that he would um, be so enraged with his experiences as an African-American man in a business environment that, you know, when his mate would ask him about his day, he wouldn't want to talk about it. And even though she, you know, was asking and asking repeatedly to really hear and know what was going on with him then he, again, he wouldn't talk about it. So I was going to say that's, that's the caution I would exercise in, in those cases. And I, and I get, and I, here's the thing, I get that we don't always want to talk about something at, in a given moment. That's true. But, for sure. But what I'm also saying though is, but we can't say nobody wants to get to know me when we're creating barriers to them getting to know us. Kind of, especially as a, as a, as a default. And I just want to bring up one other thing, because I want to bring yeah, another yeah. thing, which is because you said something else important, um, you know, in the in the in the barbershop um, session that that um, I attended with you recently, and that was you were talking about again how the language men use versus the language that women use. And how you all just want to say it, how it's true for you, but in, with us and our our delicate sensibilities, we don't always want to hear it that way. So I just wanted mm -hmm. to raise that one too. Sure, the barbershop. That's a great example. I'm um, share an observation that I noticed at that barbershop talk. Um, be when we started, it was just men mm -hmm. in the room. Um, and I noticed the shift in the level of comfort and openness that men have as more women entered the room and uh, I don't want to say took over the conversation, 
but it the the women were so their presence was so felt that I had to pivot as a facilitator to adjust the conversation to talking about the relationship between men and women. Um, but what I noticed very, very obviously was that the men started to shrink a bit in the room. There were men that were very open and talking. And then the, when the more women talked, the less men talked. And not even just because of the time and space, but like just, I think that there, I think that default kicked in. And we're used to, I'll say, I, I'm used to like when women come, you just, you know, you sit back and you listen and you, yes, and you were respectful. Um, but that's why I cherish men only spaces because I see that happening so often. Mm-hmm. Right. And when men, when men, there's things that we say that we can talk about, um, that as soon as a woman enters the room, there's a switch that goes off. Yes. Part of that switch is say the right thing, say it in the right way, don't get in trouble. There's a sense of if I say the wrong thing, I might get in trouble. I don't know if it's come from my mothers or partners, or I don't know where it comes from, but there's there's a default setting that happens that that the who the women in the room shapes how we respond to that sort of instinct. Um and if there and there are certain women that come to a room that you would notice and after a while. I used to you get back to just having the man talk. Um, but in that room, there was a couple of women that um you were one of them. <laughs> but like it, it, it felt like y'all were so excited to have an audience of men, and it was encouraging. The things that y'all were saying were encouraging, they were useful, um, but it changed the dynamic of the room, right? And so I think that's what that that I think that dynamic I think happens in individual conversations too, uh, where we're aware of the presence of a woman, and part of the default is to just be quiet and not smile. And I think y'all lose. I think y'all lose from that because there's things that y'all don't get to hear from us when you speak and your presence is respected in a way that um, is beautiful, but also sometimes limiting in the conversations that we're having. Uh, and to and to your point, I think the other thing I thought about too is that sometimes, um, and and I've been said this, uh, a friend of mine probably said this to me over twenty years ago, and I'm probably still just really, really getting it. And he said to me, he's like, Valen, you idle faster than some people can run." And mm-hmm. so the the and and so the idea also too is sometimes as women we process things faster than some men. And then we're, and so, and then also we talk more. So that combination, I think. Process out loud. um, You process out loud things faster. There are men that are processing things, but we're used to, and maybe designed to do it internally in a way that is is different. And so that, that, that shows up. Right. But I, but there's also sometimes literally though, the, the, there's the factual literal processing speak and you know and, mm-hmm. and i'll be honest with you i'm really having to been wrestling with this for such a long time myself personally really when I, somebody's psychological testing came you know came to me that i was reviewing that was a patient and the mm-hmm. word processing speed suddenly hit me in terms of oh you, you would think that i would know better as a psychiatrist but that's that's mm-hmm. that's literal that's factual people yeah, process true. things at, at at different rates um, and so I think that's a contributor too. like you said, some things we do more internally, some more externally. So, um, 
uh, you know, that, that being, being said, you know, we are, um, you know, coming to, coming to a close here on this, um, I think really, um, insightful, most helpful, you know, conversation. And so I want to, um, you know, uh, say no, that we, that we will continue and, 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 you know, again, let's do this again, but in the meantime, you know, um, you know, tell me about some of the, the, um, in the last, uh, couple minutes, what's, what's some of the events that, that you have coming up? How do people, you know, connect with you? Um, mm. cause you, you do so, you do some great work, um, uh, you know, in the community. And, um, again, I just, I, I think that, that you are uh, a, a gift and a joy and such, you know, just such this calm healing presence that, that mm -hmm. you bring to faces. Um, there's always stuff coming up. So the best way to keep up is uh, Instagram. I have an Instagram page uh, at ocartman1. Um, we have a free weekly men's yoga, comedic yoga on Mondays. So that's constantly happening. In April, there's a couple of events. There's a child abuse prevention event. There's a relationships communication stepping event that we're doing a workshop in April. Um, so alcohol, substance misuse uh conversation we're doing um we have a spiritual wellness series we'll be doing another one of those um in april so this there's always stuff so the best way to keep up is you know the instagram page for me or for the psych black psychologist uh is at chicago black psychologist on instagram um but there's websites too so drobarcartman.com um or chicago black psychologist.com so those would be the best places or facebook too just put my name in there yeah, yeah. So, um, so of course, I want to want to thank you for joining me for this conversation. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, you, 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 you are you are so welcome. And um, uh, again, I, I deeply appreciate you know you 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 sharing excuse me sharing your healing presence and wisdom. Um, thank you. With, on on the platform today, and look forward, of course, continue to do so. Uh, as we move forward and um yeah thank you for that thank you for, thank you thank you for, thank you for you thank you thank you for joining us today in the sweet spot share follow and like us on social media to learn more, please visit balinadurmd.com, spelled B-A-L-I-N-A-D-U-R-R-M-D.com. Join us next week, and remember, when you heal your mind, all things are possible.